suggest that this week in this process of uh, calling Daniel and Jessica and to this office of, of the role of pastor kicked off a, a fair amount of reflecting for me. Um, tomorrow will be 12 years since I was ordained along with Nate to serve in the role of assistant pastor. And just kind of takes my mind back to that stage of life. Of uh, Nicole was pregnant with Ashton at the time. Caden was about two years old. And I found myself feeling the call of God to serve the church in this way, but feeling very overwhelmed by it and not sure, wow, I don't know how all of this works. I don't know what this means. What, what did we say yes to? Where do we start? Where do we stop? How does, where do I turn? And one of the ways that God met me in that time period was I went to SMBI's Minister's Week, and in a Bible study class, we were studying Acts 20, and there's one verse in Acts 20 that kind of became an anchor point for me when I thought of, of serving in the role of pastor. So um, that's what I'd like to do tonight is just share that one verse uh, with you all that it became kind of my frame of reference of what does it mean to be a pastor, and we could talk a lot further than that, but we'll keep it to one verse. And I want to just share a, a couple of personal reflections after that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 20. I will give a little context and reference things, but again, I'm only going to read the one verse and just pick out a few things that, that really helped me and I want to share with you all. So in Acts 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows he's about to die. And he calls the pastors from the church of Ephesus together and there's about 15 to 20 verses where he shares his heart with the pastors from Ephesus and tells them uh, what, they, what, you know, what they need to know before he's going to Jerusalem and, and he's about to die. I'll just highlight a couple of things. In, in verse 20, he talks about that he did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful. So as pastors, we're called to share what God asks us to, not what we would choose to. And he did this publicly and from house to house. He talks about his only aim being to finish the race. He talks about committing them to the word, to God, and to the word of grace, And since he's passing off the scene. But I'd like you to consider verse 28, and I'll read that. Acts 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So I just want to highlight three things that hopefully can be helpful to you in all of this that was helpful to me, the three things that God asks us as pastors to do. The first thing is to be on guard for yourselves. And being on guard is the idea of watching and being alert. Um, and I've had to realize that nothing is more vital than my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is true of everybody in this room, whether you're a pastor or not, that nothing is more vital than our personal relationship with Christ. So no responsibility, no need, nothing on the to-do list is more important than my relationship with Christ. And after being ordained, instead of finding this easier, I actually found it more difficult. So I hope that's not discouraging to you, but the process of guarding that uh, became even more, more difficult in some ways. I thought of Proverbs 4, above all else, guard our heart. Everything we do flows out of our heart. Everything we do comes out of who we are, and it needs to be Christ just flowing through us. So I would just encourage you, be on guard for yourself. Live first and foremost as a child of God. 
as God, as your father and as your shepherd, and be on guard for yourself. And we're called to honestly deal with our own issues and allow Christ to deal with that. So the first thing is be on guard for yourself. He goes on to say, be on guard for all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So often in scripture, when it's a church, the image is of a flock of sheep. And so we are called to be on guard for the flock, the local body. Notice the word all. We are to be on guard for all people. And so as pastors, but as, as churches, we are called to be on guard for everybody that God brings into, into our, um, the gathering there. Every person is important. He goes on, just want to note that he says, among which uh, God has called you. And the Lord could have chosen any method to care for his church, but he's chosen to call men out of local bodies to care for a local group of believers. And I'm very thankful that God does that and that God equips and empowers that. And I want us to note that who has called you to this role? At the end of that, it says, which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. And so you can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit has chosen you for this role. And again, the Holy Spirit calls, but he, just, he also gives himself and his gifts and his grace for the role. And I'm so thankful for that. So the first two are to be on guard, number one, for yourself and on guard for all of the flock. And then the last is to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And the word for shepherd, it, it just means to, to tend and to care and to feed. And it's very, it's, it's a tender thing of caring for a flock and, and looking down the road and, and just taking care of it. But central to it is the idea of feeding. And I'm very aware that as a pastor, the only thing that actually feeds people is God and the word of God. <clears throat> And so just want to encourage you, uh, Danny, in that, that we're first of all called to dig into Scripture and respond ourselves, and then to feed the flock um, from God's Word. I remember Wayne saying this, and I don't know, Wayne, if, if you said this or if you were quoting somebody else, but it stuck with me. Early on, he said, after I had become a pastor, he said, there's always the danger for a pastor to try to serve as a guide for people to a place they've never been themselves. I don't know if you remember referencing that or saying that. And, and so the encouragement is that we, first of all, just need to come before the Lord and receive from the word and then in turn share that um, out of what God is doing, is doing in us. So we are to shepherd the flock with the word of God. Um, and in this case, he says the church of God. And I, I love the word church. I know we use it in all kinds of context, but it literally just means a gathering of people who are called out. And so as you're shepherding this gathering of people who are called out, let's just remember that, that it is God's church. He's called us out. We only exist to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing about this that's about us. It is about exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his gospel and making it known. And then he ends all of this by saying that the church of God has been purchased with his own blood. And just the value of, of realizing that for me and for everybody that's, well, the whole world, Jesus was willing to purchase us back with his blood and the value and the seriousness that comes with caring for a group of people that Christ purchased at the cost of his own blood. 
So again, the three things that encourage me, be on guard for myself, be on guard for all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer and shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want to shift gears just a little bit here and have a little bit more just personal reflection. So to Faith Christian, I was thinking about, you know, several years of the process of feeling led to call additional leadership and to call a deacon. And Nate has been called to the role of deacon and now Danny is the role of assistant pastor. And all that God has done in the winding path, if you were, you know, that, that brought us here. But just thankful for the leading of God and just want to encourage the church. I'm very thankful for what I see God doing in this body, the hunger for the Lord, uh, just a, a love for him and a love for his, his people. So thank you for, for being a part of that. And then realizing that in Ephesians 4, he says that he gives the church apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. And the reason he does that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so let's support Danny in that role and see Danny as one of the ways that God is going to build up the church um, and equip us for the work of the ministry. One of the things that leading up to an ordination like this uh, that I was thankful for is I really believe there were, were and are many or multiple men qualified to serve in this role. And I want to just encourage you men with that and want to make sure that we realize that not being called to this role does not speak negatively of, of people in that way. Danny and Jess, just a couple of comments about you all, and then I will pray and bring Tim on. Um, I wanted to just thank you personally for your friendship. Over the years, uh, Nicole and I have, have just enjoyed being with you and feel your care and your friendship and value it uh, very deeply. I also want to encourage you for a heart of generosity. Uh, I see that in, in just how you relate to people, um, just a generosity to care for people um, expressed in many different ways, so I appreciate that. I also want to encourage you in a, seeing a willingness to engage what I would call reality head-on. And um, one of the, I don't know when exactly this happened, but early on in getting to know Danny and, and Jess, I didn't feel like we knew them that well. Nicole and I went in for dinner, and I think you had friends around that I didn't really know all that well. We walked in, and we sat down, and I mean, it was in the first three minutes, Danny was like, I don't even know what the issue was, but there was something about, well, how does Faith Christian do this at church, and like, what do you think about that? And I was, we're just jumping into the deep end of the pool right here, just here we go. And I've come to actually really value that about you, Danny. Um, if something is on your mind or something needs faced, um, I think the Lord has given you a boldness and a desire to face it head on. Um, so with his humility and his grace, continue to face things head on. I think that's a real gift. And uh, I want to just affirm the work of Jesus Christ in your hearts. As I've related to you, um, it was really obvious that God was turning your heart towards the church. And I didn't know if he would call you to this role, uh, but I knew he was turning your heart towards the church. And I just want to affirm that. It's been a real privilege to have Tim Yoder here with us uh, from Chester Down, Maryland, to lead us through this, this weekend. He really appreciated his input. Uh, so, Tim, if you would come, I want to have a word of prayer with you and turn the time over to you to lead us from here. 
Lord Jesus, thank you again for being with us. And uh, God, thank you for redeeming us. Lord, I just ask for Tim right now that you would guide him through your spirit. Um, would you speak to us what we need to hear? And uh, I pray that it could be meaningful for Danny and Jess in the future as well as right now. And just guide Tim through your Holy Spirit. Thanks for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. It is good to be here with you, and the reason that we're here is because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that we have seen, thank you, Alvin, I believe that we've seen the movement of God directing this body in the last few days, and um, that has been good to see. It has been good to be a part of this weekend with y'all. My wife and I have really enjoyed being here and staying at Dave's place. Um, It's just been good to interact with your ministry team and uh, get to know them just a bit better. And uh, so that only deepens and feathers um, the friendship that we had just to a deeper level. So thank you, Dave and Bonnie, for putting up with us. I believe it's so vitally important that that you as a body, because you're the bride of Christ, believe in God's intimate involvement this evening. He has revealed what his will is for this church through you as a membership in choosing Daniel and Jessica as new team members on the ministry team, and uh, Daniel with the preaching responsibility, Jessica as his helper teammate. And uh, sometimes we question the process, and we ask, is it the only process that works? And I'd be the first to say that no, It doesn't have to be the only process that works. One of the things we can't do is put God into a box that could potentially limit him and doesn't fit God because he wants to do things his way. And so God, I believe, is able to use many different means and methods in calling people to his work and whatever that would be. I do believe that God calls each of us to a particular work of some kind. I think it's designed specifically for each one uh, of you as, indini- as, as unique people. And it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or you're something else. Um, understand, tonight... And this weekend process has not been a rejection of anybody. But it's simply been another step in molding and shaping each one of you for what God has for you. To those of you men as members here, if you're wondering why God didn't include you, believe that he has a chosen purpose for your life. 
And he will direct you to that purpose in his time if he already hasn't done that. To Daniel, God chose you for this moment for a specific purpose. And after the process tonight and being ordained, you might breathe just a, a sigh of relief momentarily. Maybe you're not that kind of guy, but I'm just going to tell you this. Um, God isn't done with you. <laughs> it's going, he's going to continue molding and shaping you for what he has called you to. My title tonight is Thou Art the Potter, I Am the Clay. There's a few basic steps in making pottery, and I am not an expert by any means in pottery. Wedging is a process of, of, of working the clay and working the clay in a kneading action. And one of the things that that does is eliminates air bubbles in a lump of clay. Think of the ladies kneading bread. It's the same and similar type of activity. And then there is what they call the throwing of the clay. And that basically is taking a lump of clay and it is centering it on a potter's wheel. Now, centering a lump of clay on a potter's wheel <coughs> is critical to the forming process. It must spin without wobbling. Centrifugal force, if it is not centered on this wheel, will dislodge the clay from the wheel. And so centering is critical to the clay attaching itself to the wheel for the molding and the shaping. Shaping. Shaping is the potter's hands always being on the clay, molding and shaping it to form it into the chosen vessel that he has decided to make. A potter has a, a mental picture of what he wants to end up with as his finished product. And so he works to mold and to shape it with his hands, with his fingers, this lump of clay into something that it had not been before. And then there's the firing stage. There's the bisque firing and the glaze firing. And the, both of those processes harden the clay into a usable product, end product. And there are several other small steps involved, but these are just a few of the basic steps to the making of pottery. There are many similarities in the making of pottery that parallel God's work in our own personal lives, that molding and that shaping us into his image. For our text tonight, I'm going to be reading Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. 
Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he brought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand. Let's focus first of all on the potter. I believe that it was on our honeymoon that we briefly stopped at a potter shop in New England. And I don't recall many details of that visit. I wasn't so much interested in pottery at the moment. I was much more interested in doing what my young bride wanted to do, and so we went to a potter's shop briefly. I have here a clay pot. It's my wife's. And... um, At one time, this was simply a lump of clay, a lump of clay that simply did not have any value in and of itself at all. You have the main pot, and this one here happens to be a steam pot where you can steam vegetables in, and my wife has not used it yet, but I'm working on her to use it. As you can see, it has a hole in the center. You set this on top of um, the steaming water, and then it, the steam goes up into the pot and steams the vegetables. So there's several things here. Here's your, here's your pot, here's the handles, and then you have the lid. And they're molded and shaped separately, but they fit together well. I had worked for a lady um, prior to our wedding, and... Um, Better go on the bottom shelf. And she she discovered that I was going to be married um, in a short while, and um, so sometime after our wedding, not not real long, but uh, I don't know if it went a year or so, we received this plot pot on the mail that her aunt had made, who had a pottery shop in New England. And um, so it was fascinating to receive that, and if we would have known that was coming, we may have tried to stop at her pottery shop. Pottery is fascinating, and um, as you saw on the short clip, the making of pottery, um, I, I encourage you to just simply go online and watch some of those things. It is, it is a fascinating uh, process. And so a potter has a mental picture of a vessel. Um, when he is starting to work with that clump, lump of clay and he has a finished product pictured in his mind as he molds and shapes the, the clay. Now, there's a process in preparing clay. That includes the adding of water, and the action of wedging, which, as I said, it removes bubbles, 
But while that is taking place, it also causes the clay to become less sticky. Like the water and the kneading, our spiritual lives begin with living water, doesn't it? Christ comes into our life. Then spiritual wedging takes place. The purpose of that is to fill the voids and the empty places in our lives while it's causing us to no longer stick and cling to the world that we would have been a part of prior to Christ saving us. The, bot, the potter then takes the lump of clay and he, he puts it on his wheel and, be, and with his hands he begins to mold and to shape this clay lump. And he seldom takes his hands <coughs> off of the clay except perhaps to wet, to wet his hands. And whether a potter uses a, a hand uh, technique or a wheel-throwing technique, his hands are constantly on the clay, constantly molding and shaping. His hands are inside. His hands are outside. And it's interesting, if you noticed on the video, how they take their hands and they cross their fingers, and the purpose of that is to bring stability to their hand when they are molding and shaping the pot. And so he touches every part of the clay as he is molding it over and over and over again. He thins it. He shapes it into what he is making. Oh, you might resist. You might fight like I did. But as long as the potter's hands don't hurl that lump of clay on the trash pile, you can simply expect more shaping and more molding. And so in the making of pottery, there's the firing process to prepare the clay for use. Without the firing process, the clay, as it is formed in its clay form, is no use whatsoever. And so firing brings a maturity to the clay, causing it to endure, and and, and pottery can even last for thousands of years. And what the firing does is that it changes the clay on a molecular level, transforming it from a soft, pliable substance to something that is strong and it is durable. And so there are actually two firing phases, as I said, the bisque firing and the glaze firing. Once a piece is fired, there is no going back to being able to be soft and pliable. 
That makes me think of the fire of the Holy Spirit that came upon the disciples at Pentecost. And I believe that in the same way we receive that Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior into our lives. We are transformed into a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we are sealed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. So glazing then adds a second layer of strength and durability to the clay pot. Those tough, those hard times, when it seems like you're walking through the fire, they have purpose. They actually make us stronger, not weaker. Now let's talk about the clay for a bit. We are not the potter. We are the clay. Now there's many different types of pottery clay. But basically, clay is simply silt, a mix of water and dirt poured through a sieve that settles out and separates in the process, and you end up with clay that is used to make a pot. When God formed man, what did he use? Dirt. We are not the potter. We are the clay. You know, to say that we are the clay acknowledges this point, that God is the potter, and that we, our lives, our bodies, are an ongoing handiwork of God. And we submit to that. It recognizes that God has the authority to shape us both inwardly and spiritually to fashion us into what he wants us to be. A vessel fit for the master's use. 2 Timothy 2, 21 prepared for every good work. This gives us a biblical basis for thinking of the events and the influences that happen in our lives as God's hands on us, shaping us and molding us like a potter is shaping a clay lump. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Again, he is the potter. Do you believe that there is a purpose for your life? Are you in control? Or is God, as our master potter, in control of our life? And so God, as the potter, he, he brings us out of a mold of a, a mound of clay, and he places us on his wheel where he begins to work on us. He begins the process of delivering us out of nothing 
into a vessel that he can use, designed for his use, not ours. Did you know that God shapes our lives for one basic purpose? And that basic purpose is this, to shape us into the image of Christ. What did God say when he created man? He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so the image of Christ is in his character. Rather than his shape. Although I am glad that he made us in the image of God, and I think that also means in his shape, not in some ape form. Don't believe that, but it is in God's shape that we are created. And so the image of Christ is going to happen in each one of our lives as the master potter applies precise pressure in an area of your life, when he relaxes his grip just a little bit, when he scores your life with his fingernail to shape and give it character, he knows when to squeeze and when to let off. And all of that shapes us into the likeness of Christ so that we are useful for him. Think of any event of a day under duress and pressure. Imagine the divine potter, his skillful hands using us as those tools to shape us and to make us. And then when we, place our, when we yield ourselves to be placed in the center of God's will, which is his will, that's the center of the wheel, God's will, then he is able to pull us, he's able to stretch us, he's able to mold us inside and out, he's able to protect and purge us of anything that shouldn't be there. And you know, all that stretching and all that molding, all that pressure that the potter places on that clay lump leads eventually to something that is very beautiful. Daniel and Jessica, you might find yourself in that process right now, or you might find yourself in that process later. And to the rest of you, just because you're not up here on this bench in Daniel and Jessica's place, don't think you get off scot-free. It's not how it works. You're in the process as well. God is simply making another vessel out of your life to be used as well.
just like the clay in the potter's hands in Jeremiah 18.4, that was mired in the potter's hands. God takes and he reshapes our distorted dreams by starting over again so that he can make something better of us rather than throwing us away. There are times when, as the clay, will say, let me do this my way. Let me make something like what I want. I don't like what you're making. Let me have control. And you know, that never lasts long because the potter's hands are always on you. No one escapes the work of the master's hand in their life. Billy Graham said that when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Jeremiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter. We are all, we all are, the work of thy hand. And that is so true. There was a couple who used to go to England to shop in the beautiful little shops. And they liked to antique. And they liked pottery. And especially teacups. And this was their 25th wedding anniversary, and they were in a beautiful shop when they saw a beautiful little teacup. And they said to the shop owner, they said, may we see that? We have never seen one so beautiful. And so the lady, she handed to them, and suddenly the, the teapot, the teacup, spoke and it said, you don't understand. I haven't always been a teacup. There was a time when I was red and I was clay. And my master took me and rolled me and patted me over and over. And I yelled out, let me alone. But he only smiled and said, not yet. Then I was placed on a spinning wheel, the cup said. And suddenly... I was spun around and around and around. Stop it. I'm getting dizzy, I screamed. But the master only nodded and said, not yet. Then he put me in the oven. I never felt such heat, the teacup said. I wondered why he wanted to burn me. And I yelled, and I knocked on the door. I could see him through the opening. And I could read his lips as he shook his head and said, not yet. Finally, the door opened, and he put me on the shelf, and I began to cool. There, that's better, I said. And he brushed, and he painted me all over. The fumes were horrible, and I thought I would gag. Stop it, stop it, I cried. He only nodded, not yet. Then suddenly, 
he put me back into the oven. Not like the first one. This one was twice as hot, and I knew I would suffocate. I begged, I pleaded, I screamed, I cried, and all the time I could see him through the opening, nodding his head, saying, not yet. Then I knew there wasn't any hope that I'd ever make it. I was ready to give up. But the door opened, and he took me out, and he placed me on the shelf. One hour later, he handed me a mirror and said, here, look at yourself. And I did. I said, that's not me. That can't be me. It's beautiful. I'm beautiful. I want you to remember then, he said, I know it hurts to be rolled and patted, but I, if I would have left you alone, you'd have dried up. I know it made you dizzy to spin around on the wheel, but if I had stopped, you would have crumbled. I knew it hurt. I knew it was hot. I knew it was disagreeable in the oven, but if I wouldn't have put you in there, you would have cracked. I know the fumes were bad when I brushed and I painted you all over, but if I hadn't done that, you never would have hardened. You would not have had any color in your life. And if I hadn't put you back into that second oven, you wouldn't have lasted long because the hardness would not have held. Now, you're a finished product. You are what I had in mind for you when I first began with you. Wouldn't you say that God knows what he's doing in all of our lives? He's the potter. We are the clay. And he's going to mold us and he's going to shape us so that we can made, be made into something that is flawless, that is a piece of art. And the purpose of that piece of art is to fulfill his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. May that become our story as we learn to yield to the hands of the potter. <laughs> Adelaide Pollard had a strong desire as a very young girl to be a missionary in Africa. And as she grew, she made attempts that were unsuccessful to raise support farm funds so that she could go to Africa as a missionary. And it was not successful, and she was left discouraged and in a very low moment. At a prayer meeting midweek, she heard an elderly lady pray, saying, Lord, it doesn't matter where you use me, just use me anywhere. 
So Mrs. Pollard, she went home, and she penned the words to have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, way. thou art the potter, I am the clay. A few years later, it did work that she could go to Africa as a, minister, as a missionary. I like to sing that song, and I think we know it by heart. Um, if you don't, it is 552 in the uh, praise, faith, and, faith and Praise book. So if you'll join me in singing this song. Have thine own a, a heart in us that desires your molding and your shaping, that you can work in our lives and mature us and bring us into the image of Christ in our character. I pray that you would bless the service, Father, as we proceed, and I pray your blessing upon Dave and Daniel and Jessica. May you pour out your spirit and your riches upon them tonight. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Turn the time over to Dave. Thank you for that message, Tim. God is the master potter. We are only a lump of clay. Why would we resist what he wants to do with our lives? I know, I mean, I have struggled with that, and, and it's real. But at the same time, it's like if we just would only just trust this master potter, he has something spectacular for us far beyond a useless lump of clay. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. And I'm so grateful for that. And I just want to affirm Daniel and Jessica in that I believe that they have surrendered their lives to that master potter to allow God to do what he wants with their lives rather than just simply remaining who they were and shape them into something more beautiful than they could ever be themselves. And I'm so grateful for that. And uh, would invite you to come forward here, and I would like to ask you some questions, and then uh, we will proceed from there. <clears throat> Brother Daniel, the Lord, through his church, has called you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're ready to ordain and commission you for this great work. Your response to the following questions will constitute your vows to the Lord and to the church in your acceptance of this call and your pledge for faithful service. Are you willing to accept this call to service in his kingdom and by the grace of God and the aid of his Holy Spirit to give yourself diligently to the work of the Lord as a faithful minister in his church? Do you commit to study the Word of God faithfully, to give heed to its teachings, making them the guide of your own life, teaching them diligently to all who may come under your care, witnessing faithfully as you have opportunity? Are you willing to conduct the work of the church and perform other responsibilities to which you may be assigned in accordance with the teachings of Scripture, seeking at all times 
and in all things to show yourself an approved workman in the vineyard of the Lord. Sister Jessica, the work of the minister of the gospel may be greatly helped or hindered by the attitude and the support of the spouse. In order that you may share in the dedication to your husband's calling, please respond to these questions. Do you accept this call to be a pastor's wife as a responsibility to be fulfilled under the lordship of Christ, who is head of the church? Are you willing to be supportive of your husband's role and give of your own gifts and time in ministry to the church? Right, if you would kneel. Tim, if you would join me. Upon this confession and these promises which you have made now before God and these witnesses, we hereby charge and ordain you as a minister of the gospel. Preach the word in its purity. Warn the sinners. Admonish the unconverted to repent. Teach, instruct, comfort, encourage the believers. Visit the sick and afflicted. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Likewise, give heed to thyself. Walk circumspectly. Read the word. Meditate upon its precious precepts. Pray without ceasing. And in all these things, seek to be a faithful laborer in the vineyard of the Lord. Continue in these things, for in so doing, thou shalt save thyself both thyself and those that hear thee. If Ivan and Nate and spouses could join us up here for prayer, I'd appreciate it. Nate will be leading out in prayer on behalf of, of Brother Daniel and then followed by Ivan for Jessica, and then I will close. Thank you. Thank you so much for Daniel's dedication to you and to your church. Lord, I lift him to you right now, and I pray, pray that you would give Daniel sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill him with your love for your people. I pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding for Daniel. I ask, Lord, that you would give him skill in rightly dividing the word of truth. Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we look to you as Lord of the church to provide what Daniel needs to fulfill this call. We thank you for it in your name, Lord Jesus. Father, I continue praying in Jesus' name, Lord, committing uh, Daniel and Jessica to you, and just asking, Lord, uh, for you to impart uh, yourself and your gifting to Danny. And we trust you to do that. Father, I tonight just want to pray for Jessica. God, thank you for her. Uh, Lord, thank you for her sensitivity to you and towards others. 
God, I just ask for your peace to rule her heart. Um, I ask for your divine uh, just insight and care in knowing how to walk alongside of Danny and, and just care for others. Um, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her, you would protect her, you would bless her in every way. Um, just care for her spiritually and emotionally and mentally. Um, God, I uh, lift up the adoption journey that they're on. God, your word tells us that you put lonely people and families. And would you open up those doors in your time? Just commit that to you and, and ask that you would provide for them. And uh, yeah, just may that be a beautiful story for your glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for Daniel and Jessica's willingness to accept this call as from you. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to do the work that you have called them to. I pray for a sense of, of peace and fulfillment and joy as they, they walk with you. I pray that you would bless them as a couple. I pray that you would bless them as a family to be, um, even now as they're waiting for their child. I just ask that you would, you would answer their prayers and that as we continue on this journey together, I just want to thank you for uh, their willingness to, to step out in faith in this call. I pray for them in there, as Danny, as he preaches, as he ministers, as he shares in the leadership of the church, that you would fulfill him with, uh, fulfill him with your power and your strength and wisdom. We need that. And in the midst of all of this, we again just want to acknowledge and honor you as the Lord of our church, the head of the church, and we're simply under shepherds, doing, seeking to do your will in all that we do, and we want to thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that both Daniel and Jessica would pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who, is, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display in the proper time. He who is blessed and only, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, in whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen.